Yeah, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us uh, right here on our DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And uh, if you're listening to us online, don't forget that you are streaming us on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to give you more of updates on the Ebola uh, issue. I know that it's something that uh, we've been following for years now, especially here on African Dialogue, because sometimes you get the snippets around what's happening, especially when you, you go through these outbreaks, but really sometimes you don't understand the the context around it and what we should do to actually respond to it. And uh, today uh, we're going to be looking at the Ebola virus disease outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, just last week, the World Health Organization declared that the Ebola virus disease outbreak was becoming a public health emergency of international concern. We need to break down what that actually means and uh, this particular declaration came after a meeting of the International Health Regulations Emergency Committee for Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That committee cited recent developments in the outbreak in making its recommendations, including the first confirmed case in Goma, a city of almost 2 million people on the border with Rwanda and the gateway to the rest of the DRC. Well, I'm so excited, but it's not a good topic, but it's just the fact that I haven't really met uh, uh, Professor Bloomberg, and she's in our studios this time around. I always go to her for help on these particular matters. She's one of uh, the well-known experts on this particular subject matter in South Africa and also on the continent. That's Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is a Deputy Director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. Thank you, Professor, for coming into our studios. On the line, we're joined by Kate Learmonth, who is a Coordinator of Public Health Emergency at the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Thank Thank you, Kate, as well, for joining us there on the line. Let me start this conversation with you, Professor Bloomberg. They de- declaring this uh, outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo, as I mentioned, as a public health emergency of international concern. What does that actually mean? So the World Health Organization has the ability to declare a fake public health emergency of an international concern for outbreaks that are complex, require a um, very intense coordinated response and where there is some risk, um, international spread. But I think in this case, it's more uh, regional spread Mm. and there clearly is a a risk for countries that border the DRC where the outbreak is currently ongoing. Yeah. It it brings, you know, has ability to upscale the response. Okay. Uh, which has been very intensive up to now. We must credit the DRC uh, authorities and WHO and partners. Mm. Um, But it's a year on, Mm. and uh, we haven't reached control yet. Yeah. Why are we still keeping on going to this particular topic? I know, I mean, we've been speaking over years on this particular matter. I can just think maybe it's about over three years that we've been speaking on this Ebola outbreak. But it seems like it keeps coming back and maybe that's the big question that people are asking. Is it because we don't know how to contain it or because it's just a a complex outbreak? So I think um, there's several answers to that. Uh, Ebola, which is a viral disease, is endemic, which which means it occurs in several countries, the DRC in particular. It does happen in different areas. We haven't identified um, the definitive source Mm. and how it is um, uh, transmitted from the source to to humans. We know there is a kind of 
um, pathway, often uh, people who have bushmeat, um, often non-human primates, gorillas are infected, mm. but we don't know how they get the infection, and they certainly get severe disease as well. But when people go into the forest for bushmeat, they're exposed to infected um, carcasses or animals mm. uh, through, through slaughter, and they contract the disease. But mm. it's about finding the source, mm. and I think that's a very difficult one. We haven't succeeded yet. Bats may be involved, but we don't have the answer. Well, let me come to you, (coughs) Kate. Kate, I don't know if you can hear us there on the line. Thank you for also joining us there. Thank you, Daniel. Well, Professor Bloomberg in our studios has been highlighting the fact that uh, uh, the fact of the declaration of a public health emergency of international concern by the WHO is very important, especially to increase uh, response mechanisms to deal uh, with the crisis in the DRC. Uh, From your perspective, Kate, Mm -hmm. uh, where are we and where do we stand in this regard? Yeah, so the Red Cross very much uh, welcomes the announcement um, by WHO to declare the public health emergency as international concern. It's not really going to change the reality on the ground for us. Uh, We still have well over 1,500 volunteers. We're still responding across all of the active areas. But what it really means is to bring the well-needed international attention and to hopefully also bring also some more much-needed financial resources as well. I mean, on the ground, we are seeing that the the Ebola outbreak is continuing to expand. Um, With the new case that uh, was in Goma, we are also now waiting to see whether that's going to result in local transmission, which will increase the risk significantly for Ebola to be transmitted both across the border into Rwanda and around the other neighboring countries. And in terms of that emphasis on uh, the fact that a lot of people have been speaking about the cases in, in Goma, Kate, and the fact that there's a huge uh, population number in that particular city, how important is it that we should not take that particular emphasis lightly? So the, the response partners have been preparing around Goma for the last couple of months and the, the system actually did activate quite well. So the, the pastor who came from Beni, Ebitembo to Beni and into Goma, the, all of the contacts were notified very quickly, vaccination was activated very quickly. And so now it's really about making sure that the, the potential contacts are followed as quickly as possible, and if any of those then turn into suspected cases, that they are quickly isolated and, and most importantly, also receive treatment at the Ebola Treatment Center. So really, it's it's reinforcing the, the strategy that's on the ground, which is to identify all of the suspected cases, to identify all of the contacts, particularly the high-risk contacts around those cases, and to implement vaccination, mm. infection prevention and control. The Red Cross is working on safe and dignified burials. We're also doing around risk communication and community engagement. Um, and so this is really important to make sure that we also have enough resources on the ground to be able to adjust, for example, in Goma, to know that if there is a positive, another positive case that comes from local transmission, that we can increase the capacity on the ground as quickly as possible. And this is, is being done, and then the preparedness has been put in place, as well as in the neighboring countries. Um, the Red Cross is also actively with the relevant ministries of health around Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, um, and South Sudan to make sure that if a case or a suspected case does cross the border, that 
the infrastructure is in place to respond as quickly as possible. Kate, you said something very interesting and a little bit alarming earlier on, especially when I asked you the question around what this uh, public health emergence of international concern means uh, when it comes to the Ebola virus uh, disease outbreak. You spoke about the fact that, uh, yes, it's important because it creates an, an attention for Uh, the international community, but you were highlighting the fact that it doesn't change much on the ground. Uh, While listening to you, I was wondering what you meant by that. Certainly. So what I mean is that, you know, we're already on the ground and the the response partners uh, under the Ministry of Health are already responding to every case. And so it's not going to change so much how we are already responding to Ebola on the ground, but it will hopefully bring in much-needed resources. Because at the moment, we're, we're up to about 25 health zones within North Kivu and Ituri that are, have had active cases. And we're seeing an expansion within those health areas and sometimes into the new health zones like into Goma. And so it's also about making sure that the surrounding areas are prepared and ready to respond, as well as making sure that for every single suspected case, that they are all found, and that the strategy, what we call a ring strategy, is put in place as soon as possible. And that means that for every case or every suspected case, that they are tested and, and treated and isolated as soon as possible to reduce transmission, that safe and dignified burials are already in place to reduce the risk of community transmission if there's a death in the community, as well as making sure that around every case there are specific activities around vaccination, as I said, decontamination around infection prevention and control, around risk communication with with the local community. And it's really about, from, from the Red Cross perspective, making sure that the communities are very well engaged and are involved from the very beginning. Does that answer your question? Yeah, well, uh, that's the voice there of Kate Learmonth, coordinator of uh, the Public Health Emergencies, and uh, she is from the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. In our studios, we also have Professor Lucille Bloomberg, Deputy Director of the National Institute of Communicable Disease. We'll speak about that factor that uh, you've emphasized twice there, Kate, the fact that uh, we have seen uh, responses in terms of also neighboring countries. And also there's been a concern around issues issues of trade and, and travel, especially in that particular region. We'll, we'll touch on that after this particular break. Yes, you with me, Benjamin Mushatama. This is African Dialogue, where we come to you from 11 o'clock Central African time every morning from Monday to Friday. Uh, thank you for joining me on this platform on www.chalafrica.co.za. Remember, online uh, you can also uh, find us uh, on our streaming facilities and also online we have our podcasts on our website. So do make sure that uh, you check out our website. And on DSTV channel, uh, we're on uh, channel 802 on the audio bouquet. It's almost 20 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Let me take a quick break and we'll speak about uh, those concerns around travel and trade and also the fact of uh, what other mechanisms can be adopted in neighboring countries to make sure that the situation of the outbreak of Ebola is uh, really um, maintained and also we can put a control on it. Let's take a quick break i am an african i owe my being to the hills and the valleys the mountains and the glades the rivers the deserts the trees the flowers the seas and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land
Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Friday at 800 to 900 Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, today we're looking at the Ebola outbreak in Congo. Uh, it has been declared by the WHO as a health emergency of international concern. And we've been speaking about what that actually means for the international community. But let's move on to this particular point with you. And if you're just joining us now, we've got Professor Lucille Bloomberg, Deputy Director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases, one of our resources, someone we always run to when we're speaking about Ebola or communicable diseases. She's a fantastic resource for the continent and also for South Africa. We also have Kate Learmonth who is a coordinator of the Public Health Emergencies in International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Uh, Professor uh, Bloomberg, from Kate there, we've been hearing her emphasizing the fact that uh, there has to be some form of border control and also response from neighboring countries. When it comes to a communicable disease such as this one or an outbreak such as this one, such as Ebola, uh, when it comes to containing it, especially when it comes to a very vibrant country such as the DRC, which with a large um, geography, um, how do we, where do we start? Because I'm sure that's one of the biggest challenges. So uh, if you look at the area, um, there are a lot of borders, bordering countries on the outbreak uh, zone. Um, a lot of people crossing for uh, trade. And it's very important that that is uh, maintained. Economic negative impacts are a major problem when outbreaks are declared, particularly fakes. Um, The DRC have uh, instituted quite intensive border monitoring, Mm -hmm. and very large numbers of people have been checked at the border, see if they're on a contact list, checked for illness, to try and reduce any transmission. But, uh, you know, one of the negative effects of declaring a fake or even declaring an outbreak Mm -hmm. is that the curtain comes down. What do you mean by that? So the borders get closed, uh, airways stop their flights, Mm -hmm. um, the the trade is affected, Mm -hmm. and that really has a very negative impact on the outbreak. It can push it underground. Um, It has um, people are dependent on the economy, and especially for informal traders markets uh, locally, it really has a a major, a very poor impact, a very bad impact. And I think um, it, it is not... Uh, you have to look at how what is in place there. Despite a year of um, ongoing outbreak, um, there've been huge preparations, as Kate mentioned, in surrounding countries to respond, yeah. and there there haven't there hasn't been spread. Yeah. So I think one must look at the positive um, effects of that. Yeah. There is intense bo- uh, border monitoring. Obviously, there are informal borders, but uh, we really need to discourage yeah. this negative effect on stopping trade and. Um, stopping travel through the area. Mm. We need to have other mechanisms which are in place to reduce um, uh, the impact. And I think the countries around, particularly Uganda, have been very well prepared uh, to recognise cases. And when there were the two uh, patients who travelled into Uganda, they were very rapidly identified, contacts were identified, ring vaccinations were applied. And there, there really was no outbreak that followed that. We are now out of the 21 days. Mm. 
So it's very important that you know the international community does not impose um, this punitive um, uh, impacts on trade and travel into the area because it's really not warranted. And, and so in terms of, of that, that misunderstanding in that regard, which taboos should we be breaking in, in, in that? Because some of us journalists or media people, we can be alarmists because maybe we don't understand what this declaration by the World Health Organization means. So what taboos should we be breaking that are linked to an outbreak like this in the context of that particular answer that you've just responded to, Professor Pinnell? So I think you have to realize, um, I think people have to understand how Ebola is transmitted. It's not airborne. It's not um, from casual contact. Mm-hmm. You really need direct contact. You need to handle blood, body fluids of ill-infected patients mm-hmm. um, without protection to contract the disease. So, mm-hmm. you know, that really occurs mainly within families who are looking after patients, uh, issues around some burial preparation, mm-hmm. and healthcare workers who, who may not be protected. So it's not casual contact that, that really... Uh, is a risk at all. Mm. So closing a border is, you know, I think um, has negative effects. People mm. will find their way around it. You will push the outbreak underground. Mm. People will not come forward with their disease um, for isolation, for treatment. Mm. So, and the, the economic impact is, mm. is, is really major. If you look at outbreaks previously, mm. um, that's not what you want, and it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Kate, let me come to you. What are your thoughts around this issue of containment and also how we deal with that particular issue from a trade and tourism viewpoint? Yeah, no, I think it is, I agree. It is very important that the borders are not closed. It would definitely push it underground. Uh, we have the, the response has point of entry con, um, screening, so that's about making sure that people wash their hands um, and also that they're receiving a temperature screen as well. And so these measures are really important because we know that we, with Ebola, someone is only transmitting the virus if they are symptomatic. And we expect the symptoms uh, to arrive about 8 to 10 days on average after exposure, up to 21 days. And so it's really about understanding uh, exactly how it's being transmitted and then how we can really try and stop that transmission. And that's about identifying cases as soon as possible. It's about treatment and isolation and it, of those cases to, to stop the risk of transmission. And from the safe and dignified burial side, it's really about identifying all potential community deaths and making sure that the bodies are secured as well, but also that they are treated with dignity in line with cultural practices. And so it's also very important that we are working with the local communities around this and that goes for both in the preparedness uh, countries, so around Rwanda and Uganda, to work with communities so that they are aware of what is happening, that they understand the risk and how to mitigate them. Okay. And and I want to look at also just the humanitarian community with you, Kate, because there's been also um, talks around how um, there's been some health workers, even within the DRC, who've also been infected by Ebola while working in that particular environment. Um, what's the story there? And um, how do we actually prevent that from happening again, if that is the case? Yeah, that's correct. So we know to date there has been about 138 uh, healthcare workers that have been infected. It was about 5% of, of all of um, all of 
the cases. This is quite high, and, and this what we call non-secretional infection it happens when um, when someone comes in direct contact with fluids or blood, and, and they're not un- undertaking universal precautions. So, for from the side of infection prevention and control, it's really about training the healthcare workers to understand the risks and how to mitigate them, to also make sure that they have the right supplies and equipment to protect themselves and also the community and, and the patients. And so this is something that the response partners are, are still working on and it's really also really important around building the confidence of the community because we know that you know this is a lot of these cases are happening in a conflict area. There's been conflict in some of these areas for over twenty years. And there's also a lack of confidence and some community resistance. And so I think that the, the health contamination of healthcare workers also definitely feeds into some of the resistance and, and the ongoing here and lack of confidence as well from the community. And coming back to you, uh, Professor Bloomberg, in that regard, the fact that there has been even complications in terms of the response, are we learning anything new in our response mechanisms now? Because we have had those hiccups as was um, elaborated thereupon by Kate. Well, if you look back at Ebola outbreaks in the DRC previously, they've been in remote areas, they've been quite rapidly contained. Mm. Um, treatment issues have been a problem because there have been no drugs. Mm. And I think there have been quite a lot of um, advances in how we manage cases. So there are a number of drugs that are being offered to patients under an investigational setting. Um, we will wait some results. I think a major issue has been the introduction of the vaccine, mm. and Kate referred to that. So you identify contacts very quickly. Mm. It's a ring vaccination. You vaccinate them um, um, once, as soon as you can identify them, and they've also introduced vaccination of contacts of contact. So you're kind of okay, broadening wow. the ring. Okay. And to date, the the vaccine response has been incredibly good. Mm. I think an efficacy or success rate of about 97 percent. Okay. Also used on pregnant women and children. Seems to be safe, and has been a major has played a major role in uh, containing the outbreak. Um, and has been delivered under difficult circumstances by incredibly uh, dedicated, skilled teams and been accepted by the community for the most part. Yeah, well, let me take a quick break. A very, very interesting thoughts coming from both of our guests. And uh, next, when we come back, we're really also going to later on look at the basics. We always need to reaffirm um, just what to look out for when it comes to the Ebola virus. Because it's such a, a, a an interesting outbreak because it's something that kind of forget and then it comes back it seems like also information dissemination around just the basics around Ebola need to be constantly re-emphasized when it comes to this particular issue. Thank you for joining me Benjamin Mushatama right here on African Dialogue. Remember we're on www.channelafrica.co.za that's our website www.channelafrica.co.za you can stream us live there internationally and if you're listening to us in South Africa and neighboring countries uh, you you can find us on DSTV channel 802 on the audio bouquet. When we come back, we'll look at just the basics. What do we look out for? What should we actually be doing as ordinary Africans? Maybe you're listening to us from the DRC, from Rwanda, from Zambia, from the SADC region. Maybe you travel a lot into the DRC. Maybe you, uh, you do a lot of business there. What should you be looking out for as a, a person who moves in and out of the DRC? Just the basics. Uh, we'll look at that when we come back. Let's do that after this. 
Tune in to Vision 2030 with Una Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One. Hashtag Vision 2030. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Hey, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. I'm so glad that I have Professor Lucille Bloomberg. I'm meeting her for the first time. I've been speaking to her over the phone for a long time, maybe for the last two years. And finally, we've reconciled and, and, and met in real life. So it's fantastic. Her expertise are very valued here on Channel Africa. She usually helps us on these uh, big issues when it comes to communicable diseases. Uh, that's Professor Lucille Bloomberg, the Deputy Director of the National Institute of Communicable Disease. Thank you as well to Kate Learmonth, who is a coordinator of public health emergencies at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. And um, you were talking about something very interesting, but very briefly, Professor Bloomberg, during that break around the fact that uh, we must be aware that uh, uh, the people who travel on the continent, one of the most uh, uh, easy to catch um, um, viruses actually outbreaks sorry um it's um uh malaria uh, so you were actually contrasting that with ebola just l- let our um listeners in on that particular fact so just to mention that the risk of uh, ebola being contracted by travelers um to the drc as a as a country um, is actually very low. Okay. The outbreak, it's a very big country, as we see on the mm. map, and it really is still restricted to an area uh, on the east of the country. But it's a large outbreak, and absolutely we need a, 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 a ramped-up response with more resources. Mm. So for the most part, it's, it's really other uh, infections that mm. pose a risk to travelers, and malaria is very critical one to identify and to protect against. Mm. Problem when you travel in Africa and you get a fever, come back from the DRC, people say it's Ebola. Mm. But really you need that direct contact with infected, ill travelers with uh, body fluids. And that's mm. not a, uh, for the most part, a traveler's risk. Yeah. So prevent malaria. It's a, it's a common parasite. Okay. And you can do that very successfully at not confuse everybody and cause problems. How important is that fact, Kate, that was highlighted there by Professor Bloomberg? I think that's really important. We, we know that the first symptoms of Ebola are very similar to, yeah, to malaria or even flu-like. And it, it's also really important, for example, if you're in an area with an active Ebola outbreak, that as soon as you start to get those symptoms, that you'd go and get tested. But it's often those kind of, I guess, secondary or tertiary symptoms where the tertiary being around 
so you see the um, hemorrhagic happening, you see, you see the bleeding. They're the well-known symptoms of Ebola, but it's also really important that your travelers, uh, affected communities, and also preparedness countries are well aware of the different symptoms and, and what that could also mean, but it could be something like malaria as well. Um, it's also, you know, we currently also have a cholera outbreak and a measles outbreak in some of these areas as well. So I think it's, it's really important to highlight the need to practice um, basic hygiene, to also screening uh, for things like malaria, um, and it's really also to make sure that it's not necessarily just a communication about the risk of Ebola, but it's a wider discussion about how to protect yourself and your, your family and your community from other communicable diseases. Mm. So, Professor Bloomberg, I'm a journalist here, and I have been called to attend a conference in uh, the DRC, maybe not in Goma itself. So what, where should I start if I want to go on this particular uh, journalism course there and I want to travel there, but I want to make sure that I go there responsibly, uh, making sure that I uh, follow all uh, the health uh, precautions that I should, looking at all the factors that you've highlighted and that we've spoken about in this particular hour. So I think your risks of Ebola are close to zero. Okay. Um, I think you do, as Kate mentioned, need to take practice, I think, uh, safe uh, water, mm-hmm. good hygiene, take malaria prophylaxis, uh, there's measles outbreak, make sure you've had adequate uh, vaccination. But I think your chances of Ebola are, are pretty well close to zero. Okay, fantastic. And uh, Kate, coming back to you in terms of the fact that we need to support the the current uh, uh, response mechanisms that are on the ground that you were speaking about earlier on, um, what should the international community be actually doing right now at this particular point? We know right now uh, there's a very strained economic environment internationally, and we know the humanitarian environment has been affected by that. So in this particular uh, issue, uh, how do we actually ramp up uh, the support for the systems on the ground? Uh, Thank you. I think that's a really good question. So we're about to, next week, we'll we'll enter into the 12th month of the 10th Ebola outbreak. And, you know, the 9th Ebola outbreak happened actually just before the 10th one. It was contained within three months. And so some of the big differing factors to this 10th outbreak, as I previously said, is that this is a conflict area. It's the first time that Ebola had been seen around the North Kivu and Ituri provinces. It's a high population density with a high population movement and also cross-border movement. And so as we move into the 12th month, it's really important that the international community is really supporting to make sure that we have the resources on the ground. Because of some of the conflicts and the security concerns, as well as the um, lack of infrastructure in these areas, it's also a very expensive response because a lot of the logistics have to be moved, for example, by plane or by helicopter. It's not necessarily an option to use roads. And so it's really important that the support comes in to make sure that the people on the ground have what they need to be able to respond. And so the Red Cross, that specifically our volunteers, you know, our volunteers come from the affected communities. They're working for their communities. And from our side, it's really important that they have everything that they need to to respond and to do so safely and, and to also do so with the security and the safety in terms of both Ebola outbreak, but also the safety in terms of security concerns. You know, this Ebola outbreak is in a public health emergency within a wider humanitarian emergency. So we also need to make sure that we're starting to address or that we are addressing the wider humanitarian needs. 
We know there's been uh, over 300,000 people displaced in parts of Ituri from the conflict. And so I would definitely urge the international community to support both political, financial, and other types of support that is required to, to really support this response. Thank you. Yeah, and just a final question before I let you go, Kate, because we know there was uh, this uh, uh, cultural taboo around also the burials and the black bags that were used initially in the, the burial process. How has the international humanitarian community adapted to that particular issue that was a bit of a concern for the community citizens uh, where uh, the Ebola virus was uh, actually really creating problems uh, because that was something that made headlines the issue around the burial bags. Absolutely. It's a really good question. So the Red Cross here has been on the ground responding to safe and dignified burials from the beginning. And one thing that we're also doing is we have one of the largest local community feedback mechanisms. And so that, that means that the volunteers who are on the ground are also providing community feedback. And we're using that feedback to really try and adapt the response. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came out of that very early on was right about the body bags. And so what we were able to do was to actually move from the traditional black body bag into what we call a transparent body bag. And so it's a white body bag that has a transparent cover and then a second cover on top of that, and you can get them open and closed. And so the community was very much telling us that it was really important to them to be to be able to say goodbye to their family member and to this was one way using these transparent body bags to to offer the community the safety or what we call the, the to ensure that their family member is both secured in that it's not going to increase the risk of transmission mm-hmm. to the family mm-hmm. but also that they are treated with dignity and this is something that you know the Red Cross takes very seriously it's something that we, we always try and work with the communities with. And so I think that that has been a very good success story where we've been able to work with the communities to identify a way where we can both, from a public health perspective, reduce the risk of transmission, but at the same time respect the cultural um, necessities and also the dignity of, of the family. Because, you know, when our volunteers go in to do a safe and dignified burial, they come in at a time when the mm-hmm. family is at its most vulnerable, they've just lost somebody that they loved, and it's really important that the dialogue begins between our teams and the family member and that access is negotiated and then that they're also able to to follow the cultural practices as well. Yeah, very much so. Well, let me end it up with you, Professor Bloomberg, getting your final sentiments. I think I enjoyed doing this show because sometimes you just get the chance to pause a little bit and be more comprehensive on, on subject matters. Do you have any final sentiments? No, I think it's really to echo what Kate has said and to pay tribute to the teams on the ground. I think the Red Cross and Red Crescent have done an extraordinary job together with the uh, Ministry of Health in uh, DRC and the WHO and UN partners. But we really need to ramp up response and the international community need to provide increased resources. Well, thank you so much to Professor Lucille Bloomberg, a friend here on African Dialogue and here on Channel Africa. She's the Deputy Director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. Thank you to Kate Learmonth of the Coordinator of Public Health Emergencies at the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Uh, We thank you both for giving us your time on this platform, especially when it comes to dissemination of information in this regard. It's very important. It's one of the uh, key uh, response mechanisms in issues such as this. So we thank you 
you both for giving us some of your professional time and making time for us. I know sometimes it's very difficult to create a, a moment in your busy schedules, but we appreciate it as Channel Africa.